Hello, this is Table Scraps. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I had the great opportunity to talk to Stephen Vanderhoek, pastor down in the Lutheran Church of Australia. He serves a church in Queensland. And uh, and we were talking, it's of somewhat urgency, because the Lutheran Church of Australia is meeting in convention next week, uh, and one of the things that's on their docket is to vote for women pastors. The Lutheran Church of Australia has been voting for this for years, and they have a strange provision that if... It's, in fact, been over 50% of the people have voted for ordaining women in almost every convention, but they have a provision that it has to be a two-thirds majority. And so while the majority of people are for women pastors, uh, it hasn't passed and so forth. Uh, we, I, t- I talked to Pastor Vanderhoek about what the, what the arguments are for and against, what the dangers are, and really what it comes down to is, are you going to trust the Scriptures? Or are you going to let them be uh, your authority, or are you going to argue— Against them, it was a great interview, a timely interview. Uh, please take a listen and uh, and include the Lutheran Church of Australia in your prayers that they'd be faithful to the Lord's word and uh, and His wisdom, uh, and and that they wouldn't ordain women. I mean, this is just a clear doctrine in the Scriptures. I'm sorry about the audio. You hear my voice echoing. We had to, the way we had to set it up to record. Um, I just messed things up, so you can hear me, and then you can hear me through uh, Pastor Vandercook's computer uh, as well. It's annoying, and I'm sorry about that, uh, but I think it's so timely. It, we want to get this out there for you guys to listen to, and, and you'll get used to it after a little bit. And uh, and really, Pastor Vanderhoek sounds great, and his his answers are very helpful. So, uh, so here it is, uh, the interview with Pastor Stephen Vanderhoek on the ordination of women. Yeah, this is a—we're uh, doing a special table scraps today. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, and I've got on the line uh, Pastor uh, Stephen Vanderhoek from Australia. Uh, they, there's a couple of important things happening in Australia. They have convention coming up this week, in fact, and one of the big things that they're talking about is the ordination of women. So we want to talk about that and what what's going on down there and what some of the big implications are, what's what's kind of going along in the background. Pastor Vanderhoek, welcome to the, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's really nice to... To be here. Tell me a little bit about where bit about you where are um, in, the in the world and what's going on down there. Okay, so I, um, I'm serving as the pastor of the Maryborough Childers Lutheran Parish, which is about three hours north of Brisbane in the state of Queensland, which is a very large state in Australia, which is on the northeast side of the country. And um, yeah, we're um, uh, coming up. Uh, to our uh, national convention of the Lutheran Church of Australia next week. One of the most uh, important questions on the agenda of that synod is going to be whether both women and men should be ordained or not. Currently, our, our teaching in the Lutheran Church of Australia is that women should not be ordained. Um, and so... Yeah, where where we've had a very long build up to this synod, and um, and that's where we're we're at at the moment. Well, you guys have been, guys have been debating, debating this question for a long time. Well, yes, a very long time. I mean, I was born in 1984. This issue was first really brought to the table, I think, in a in a big way in about 1987. Um, there was a 
the first vote on the con- in the Convention of Synod was in the year 2000, and there's been a few subsequent votes uh, between now and then. I think I, I can never remember if it's two or three, but I think there was one in 2006 or nine and 2015 as well. Um, each of those previous synods, they've uh, haven't achieved the necessary two-thirds majority that they need in order to pass that um, resolution. So um, it's almost been going on for my entire lifetime. If I understand it right, it's, it's always been, the vote has actually always been more than 50%, but less than two-thirds, is that right? So it's, it's a majority, but it's not the supermajority required by the bylaws or constitution. Yes, that's right. Our constitution, the LCA, requires a two-thirds majority for, the, uh, for changing some kind of uh, matter of doctrine such as this. And so, um, yeah, there's been a bit of a change over the different synods about how this is, um, um, to what ex- whether it's 50% or a little bit more than 50%, and whether it's 52 or 51. Uh, the previous synod um, had the highest uh, result, which was, let's say, about 65%. Uh, there were 13 uh, votes short of um, of getting that supermajority, and and uh, so there was only that meant that only seven people needed to change their mind in order to um, in order for that motion to pass. So it was very very close last time. Well, I want to talk about what's behind the what's behind idea, why idea, the idea of women pastors is, pastors is what it, it what it what indicates, because it, it doesn't. It's not a question that stands alone, but maybe just before maybe just we bridge, before over the, bridge over to the kind of interesting and, the, and important theological conversation, how does it look coming up next week? What if you could take a guess? What would you guess is going to happen? Well, it's really hard to know. Um, what's happened over the last um, the last synodical term is that there were a number of papers that were distributed throughout the LCA and a number of consultations were were held. Um, The CTICR, which is our theological commission, was asked to draft a doctrinal statement which presented a a biblical case for the ordination of both men and women. And this has been circulated all around the church and and has been discussed at all kinds of various levels at pastors conferences and also at these kinds of open consultations where uh, basically anybody could come along and and give their two cents about it of course uh, from my point of view uh, being someone who who believes that the ordination of women is not supported in the scripture it's almost a bit of a strange thing to have a document such as this that is a supposedly biblical case for the ordination of women, which, of course, we believe is not the biblical case at all. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a very strange thing where we've had this, um, where we've had this particular document being circulated out there. Um, uh, but it's been... It's been a refined, and, and so if women's ordination does pass next week, uh, this document would be the would be then adopted 
as the doctrinal basis for the change. So there was, there was very much a concern that we don't simply make a doctrinal change without a doctrinal basis. So that, that um, doctrinal basis is also being uh, discussed at great, uh, great length in our church at the moment too. Now, what is the argument what is that's the argument being, that's put, being forth? put forth? The, 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 Bibli- the, the Like you said, the, like kind, you of said, the kind of air quote, scare quote, a biblical argument for women's ordination. Well, uh, Galatians 3 uh, plays a very prominent role in all of this, particularly where where St. Paul says uh, there is neither uh, Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor slave nor free, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, uh, we believe that this passage refers to a baptism, uh, particularly as it relates to that whole circumcision matter that keeps on coming up in the book of Galatians, that you know both Jews and Gentiles, both men and women, and both slaves and free people, as as they had at that time, um, altogether receive baptism, and as a member of the let's say the royal priesthood, as Saint Peter calls it in in chapter two of his epistle, we sometimes call it the priesthood of all believers that. Women are just as much part of that as men, and that there's, um, in that sense, when we're talking about baptism versus circumcision, where um, circumcision was something that only men received, uh, that both women are also uh, baptized into the Church of the New Testament. So, uh, but also there's a strong part of this document which rebuts two passages which have been traditionally used to support the view that um, that only men should be ordained. And those two passages are first from 1 Timothy 2, the last part of 1 Timothy 2, and also uh, the last part of 1 Corinthians 14. And these are the two passages that are used in our little official paragraph in, in our LCA's Theses of Agreement. If I can just give a little bit of the history about this, Brian. Sure. Um, sure. About 50 years ago, uh, there were actually two major synods in in Australia of Lutherans. And these two synods, the former United Evangelical Lutheran Church of Australia and the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Australia, we often call them the UELCA and the ELCA, these two former church bodies came together in a union to form the LCA. Now, part of that preparation for union was the putting together of a document called the Theses of Agreement. And in our Theses of Agreement, there's a section, uh, there's a number of theses on the ministry, uh, which is part six of those theses. Um, If anybody wants to look them up, they're on the LCA website, lca.org.au. And um, the last of those theses, Theses of Agreement 611, uh, refers to the question of ordination of women. And it basically says something along the lines of this. It says, although women were called to be prophets in both the Old and the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2, uh, the, the particular verses, and 1 Corinthians 14, verse uh, 33 to 36 or so, um, for, uh, forbid a woman from uh, from. Uh, serving in the office of the public ministry and administering the sacraments. And then it says, this apostolic rule is binding on all Christendom. And then it says, uh, hereby her, meaning 
uh, a woman's, her rights as a member of the spiritual priesthood are in no wise impaired. It's an old-fashioned way of basically saying just because women uh, can't serve as pastors doesn't mean that they are therefore some kind of second-class citizen in the church. And so this is the statement that we have currently as our teaching. And so our the document that tries to um, promote the ordination of women seeks to kind of undermine these two texts. It doesn't really give a very, um, we might say, a very reputable kind of alternative about how these two texts uh, should be interpreted um, instead. But what they do is, what the document does is basically kind of cuts these two texts out as if they're not really relevant to our situation. Um, saying about First Timothy 2 that this is really just referring to maybe a Jewish context and in First Corinthians 14 that maybe it's talking about uh, women, let's say, chit-chatting in church rather than uh, they're being asked not to assume the role of the pastor. And so, of course, there's... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, it's, it is one of these... Uh, it's what I call the heresy two-step. Uh, we, we've talked about that on Table Talk Radio. Is you take the text, you make it into an abstraction, and then you do whatever you want with it. It seems like that's there's a typical way of arguing here, is that you take a text that is not talking about the office of the Holy Ministry, like Galatians 3, and you, uh, and you make it into an abstraction, and then you apply it to the office how you want to, and then you take the texts that do talk about it, uh, and then you... which is certainly First Timothy two and First First Corinthians fourteen. I mean, these are obviously talking about um, the public administration of the preaching of God's word, at least, and probably the sacraments as well. And and then you try to take that away. It's it, it's kind of a classic move here. Um, but have have you seen people be? So how how is the conversation about this this thing gone? Have people seen, have people been able to see through it and and say, hey, this is really a, a playing fast and loose with the scriptures, or has the has the argument won some minds over? No, I don't I don't think that this document has really won anybody over. The only people that I think maybe it has won over is some. People who would like to see women's ordination, but they're kind of wavering about it. They're not really sure. They're not really sure what the biblical foundation is for it. And perhaps this document has kind of given them something to hang their hat on. Um, yet, but on the other side, I think uh, those of us that disagree with a change to allow women to be ordained um, haven't been convinced by it. And in fact, uh, I attended a number of these consultations and I've attended the pastors' conferences too. I'm also under the impression that many of the people who are actually in favour of the ordination of women are not necessarily all happy with this particular document either. Um, there were some people that thought that the um, that there were all kinds of other issues and all kinds of other reasons why we should ordain women that weren't discussed in this particular document. However, um, so there's even amongst those who would like to see women's ordination, um, there's not, let's say, uniform agreement even amongst them. But 
Is this uh, so? As I look uh, at this, about this document, yeah. As I look at this, Stephen, I, I and I'm maybe oversimplistic on this whole thing, but it just seems to me like the thing that would motivate. Um, a change to having women pastors is simply that we're embarrassed about what the Bible says. And so we want to, we're going to, we have this fantastic ability to sort of come along and, and support our own arguments, to make an argument of our own, the righteousness of our own cause. But the thing that is motivating us is that we, we know the Bible says, hey, um, I don't permit a woman to preach or teach in the church. And we just don't like that. Um, well, I think first of all, there's one message that has a has um, I think a direct connection with this, and that is the at the end of John chapter six, where you might remember this, where you know Jesus feeds the five thousand, and then he uh, he gives this about how as the sun goes on, he starts saying, "Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood," and, and um, have no life within you, and he goes and goes on there. Eventually, what you get at the end of this sermon is a whole lot of people just desert Jesus, and they say, "This is a hard saying. Who can endure it?" And I think what often happens in this whole debate is that people like to say that the two texts, First Timothy two and First Corinthians fourteen, are let's say unclear. But I think the reality is, is that I think we can basically agree with what they say. I mean, what's unclear about, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, rather she is to remain silent. I mean, what, what on earth is unclear about that? It's as, it's as clear as day. However, the, the question is more of what, to what extent do those words apply? And as you said, um, the question is, is not so much whether they're clear, but that they're a hard saying, as the disciples say at the end of John chapter 6. This is, um, this is always going to happen, that the, the culture or, or the world around us is going to have certain uh, acceptable thoughts, and, and that the Bible is going to have other thoughts, right? The Bible is going to have other pieces of wisdom. And, and so when those two come in conflict, then we have to say, now which, which are we going to follow? Are we are we gonna are we gonna are we gonna go with the scriptures or are we gonna try to make the scriptures match up with the acceptable forms of thought that are taught to us in the culture? So so the culture the devil always will use the culture to bring this pressure on the church, and it seems like for me that women's ordination is just one of those touch points where what's being tested is our biblical conviction. Are, are we going to simply let the Bible say what it says? Now, sometimes the the the, the questions are helpful because it, it lets us go back to the Scriptures to see what the Scriptures truly say. In other words, so, sometimes the culture has tempted us in, in a different direction, and then when the culture changes, we, it reinvites uh, a, a good, clear look at the Scriptures. But when we see what the Scriptures say, we simply have to say, if we're going to be the Lord's Church, we have to live from the Lord's Word. Word. That's our only option. Is, it, is that too simplistic? Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly that's exactly right. Just one thing um, that just came to mind before. I remember talking to one of my former seminary lecturers who'd been involved in this debate. Say that what often happens in this debate is that 
let's say those who want to see women's ordination uh, put forward one argument and then let's say we, we might rebut the argument and say look that's let, let's say for example talk about Galatians chapter 3 we might give a good reason why that's not uh, relevant to this particular debate and then as soon as we do that another uh, text comes up another suggestion comes forward and so what we often find in this whole debate is that those who want to see women ordained are often uh, let's say a moving target you, you you're not really dealing with um, some with uh, a couple of clear things over here and a couple of clear things over there you you try and break down one argument and all of a sudden they raise up another one. And that's that's been a constant um, thing in this whole debate. I think that also, I think you're very right about this whole question about do we really uh, want to let the Bible uh, say what it says? Do we really want to let God's word be God's word in our world today uh, and in our church today? Uh, and just let it speak as it speaks, and uh, or are we we kind of a little bit embarrassed about it? I think that that's that really is a big question um, in our church and in our church's debate at this time. There has to be a way that there has to be a way that the, the, kind of the first principle kind of, the first of principle reading of the Bible reading as a Christian, Bible, as a Christian church is that the reason why Jesus has to tell us these things is because we can't get to them on our own. If he, if we, if he was to leave us to ourselves to figure out what's true, we would come up with all sorts of nonsense. So that in some ways we have to expect that when we come to the Scriptures, it's going to give us a wisdom and an insight that is not typical. It's not the thing that we would think naturally. Otherwise, you know, if, if we all confess that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit, then we wouldn't need the Scriptures to come and tell us that Jesus is Lord. And if, you know, we we thought this way about whatever, we wouldn't need the Scriptures. So, so we expect that the Scriptures is going to be a contradiction of, of our human reason. And, but... If, if we don't have that expectation, if we expect the Bible to simply match up with what we like or what we think or what we reason, then, uh, then why have the Scriptures in the first place? And it seems to me that that's always the move that the, that the liberals or the higher critics or the whoever the, the, that want to change the practice or change the doctrine, that's always the assumption is that uh, I, I don't want the Bible to say the hard thing that I don't like, so I'm going to go about the business of of taking away those edges, uh, the parts that I don't like. And, and the trouble, of course, is those are there for a reason, number one. And number two, you start taking apart the parts that you don't like, you're eventually going to destroy the parts that you do like, like the fact that Jesus forgives you your sins. Yeah, well, if I can, if I can just... Uh, the century, for example, has seen a lot of quite big movements that have come uh, uh, in these in this last hundred years or so. You know, we've seen things like feminism. We've seen, uh, you know, the big communism, capitalism, um, all kinds of uh, big overarching political philosophies and all kinds of things that have come up. And I think. In all of those different movements, there's always a little element of truth that's trying to, let's say, 
uh, address something in the past that let's say we might say is not hasn't been quite as we as it should be and I think that let's say perhaps uh, there was a time when uh, sometimes women could be treated uh, quite badly they could be looked down upon and um, sometimes the um, the only thing that was quoted from the the Bible about let's say husbands and wives was Wives, submit to your husbands. In other words, uh, wife, uh, you have to do what I say and you have to shut up and, and, and that's the end of it. Um, but, uh, but then all the other things that were written towards husbands, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and all those, those um, um, wonderful grand uh, passages which address Christian husbands were just not, maybe they weren't studied in the, um, or they weren't so well known. And so let's say, perhaps I think um, there were some things that maybe feminism needed to correct. But I think that all of these, these great movements, whether it's, as I said, communism or capitalism or, or liberalism or conservatism or, or feminism, with the, all of these different movements um, have something in them where they're trying to correct something. But then there comes a, a, to, a, a point along the road where the scripture actually stops all of these political philosophies in their tracks and says, puts them at a crossroad and says, here we go, and you're not going any further than this. You've done your job up to here. And I think that's one of the things that's, that's very um, difficult is that there's a lot of people in the church that saw, let's say there was a time when all of a sudden women started to have more opportunities and they looked to their old mothers or their old grandmothers and think, you know, my grandmother, my mother was, was such a competent woman. And if only she'd had those kinds of opportunities that I had, um, uh, then maybe she could have done this or this or that. And I think that's often the, the motive behind women's ordination. They see, uh, let's say, women being pastors as just another uh, trophy along the way. But the scripture stops them in their tracks. And then uh, it puts the kibosh, let's say, on this... Um, on this particular movement insofar as its steam rolls into the church. But if I can just say another thing, one thing that we come across in both 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 14 is the word submission. We have this in 1 Timothy 2 where St. Paul says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. And also in 1 Corinthians 14, it's, he says, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Now, this whole, um, let's say, willing subordination of, of women in this particular um, scenario um, also relates to the way in which you know, husbands and wives relate to each other. You know, where uh, Paul and Peter both say... Uh, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Also, we have there in First Peter chapter three, uh, where uh, where Peter calls this kind of attitude. He says, "Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." Now, this particular attitude, which is called upon for women to uh, take up in these particular passages is precisely 
the same attitude which all Christians should have towards our Lord Jesus and to the scripture. So that's precisely what you're saying there before about about the word of God and the things that we, let's say, cherry picking the things in the word of God that we like, that we don't like, really brings to life this whole question of do we women, the men and women, both men and women in the church, do we actually want to submit to the um, word of God? Because um, I've often heard it said that this issue is not about a question about women submitting to men, but it's about both men and women submitting to the apostolic word here in the scripture and and even to the example of Jesus Christ himself in choosing um, his 12 apostles. That's fantastic. No, that's really fantastic. It's submission is an attitude of faith and reception and, and when Paul says, wives, uh, be subject, submit yourselves to your husbands, as the church submits to Christ, this is precisely this is precisely the point, that the whole church, every single Christian, is subject to Christ and to his word. We, we, that's, what it, that's what it means to be a Christian. And when we start going about the business of, of, of taking the parts about Jesus that we like and keeping and taking the parts about Jesus or his word that we don't like and, and tossing them out, then we are... Um, it's a it's a very dangerous rebellion that we are engaged in. Very dangerous, and it, it leads it, it's a road that leads to destruction. In the in the end, if you if you start taking those parts of the Bible that you don't like and tossing them out, then then the, then again the parts that you do uh, will become subject as well. And the devil just constantly is using it against you. I, well, I hope. Pastor Vanderhoek, that, I hope that the vote goes well um, for you guys next week. I, but but maybe even more. I mean, the the sort of theological. I hope that the theological conviction that stands behind it is strengthened through this whole debate. Because because while the devil wants to always cause us to question God's word, to stand in opposition to God's word, to rebel against God's word, the Lord still sits in heaven. He still is ascended to the Father's right hand. He still rules and reigns all things for the sake of his church, his elect. And... Um, and so we know that all the things that are happening are so there in, in one way or another to bless us, no matter which way it goes. Uh, for those uh, who trust in Christ, they, they, they'll be strengthened, even though, it, man, I can't imagine what kind of hard times you guys would have if, if somehow this vote went through. Yes, well, if I can say, I, I think one of the things that's a, a big issue in the LCA is that we're a reasonably small church, especially in with the um, with the Lutheran Church, the entire the entirety of the LCA is actually smaller than the Texas district of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. However, um, what that also means is that uh, our history uh, goes right back to let's say the 1830s, where many people came out from uh, from Germany after the persecution there of Lutherans following the Prussian Union. There was a very similar history that happened in, in America at that time. And, you know, during the First and Second World Wars, um, particularly there was a, a very, let's say, heavy persecution of Germans in, um, in Australia. Um, and many of those uh, Germans were Lutherans. We had, uh, you know, a lot of uh, 
towns that were in, like South Australia particularly, which where their names were changed. So there was a there was a town which had two Lutheran churches in it called Harndorf. They called they changed its name to Ambleside during the war, but they changed it back after the war because Ambleside sounds a bit not quite as nice as Harndorf. <laughs> so um, you know you had all this kind of thing, and then you know a lot of uh, Lutherans some. You know, they had to really stick together. Some of them became almost a bit embarrassed of being German. Some even changed their names and some pastors were interned. Um, there were all kinds of things. They, I think they even thought there were Nazi bombs in the seminary bell tower at one point. All kinds of things like that. So, you know, there's always been this kind of slightly isolated and turbulent history of of German Lutherans in Australia. But what that also means is that so much of the Lutheran Church of Australia is actually related to each other. And so many parishes all around the country are all split on this issue. Uh, there's very few congregations that are completely against women's ordination. Or uh, there might be some of much, but they so there's a, in, um, and, and the divide is right down the middle of um, some of uh, Lutheranism's great families in this country. So that's one of the very sad elements about this whole uh, debate is just uh, how that will all pan out um, like that. Mm. I think I remember it was, um, well, Herman Sasse, who's a, who's a theologian connected to Australia, uh, and he said that the, the reason why the church stands is because she prays every day, Lord, keep us steadfast in thy word. I think that's a, actually a fantastic sort of thing, and so we'll, we'll pray for that. And I, I want to ask, in fact, all that are listening uh, to, the, to this episode of Table Scraps to, in, in fact, include the Lutheran Church of Australia and her deliberations on these issues and the scriptures in your own prayers for the next couple of weeks. And uh, we'll pray that all goes well and that, and that the Lord will would keep you steadfast uh, in his word, uh, that he would keep word. all of us steadfast in the word. Pastor Vanderhoek, thank you so much for for coming on and telling the story and, and talking about the thing. Anything, any last words that we ought to hear or any thoughts that we need to have? Um, yeah, no, look, thank you so much for having me on your show. And uh, yes, please keep us in your prayers and uh, please uh, pray that, uh, that, uh, that uh, God's word will... Uh, will prevail, and that um, and that uh, the ears of many more people may be may be opened to um, the wonderful um, clear doctrine of the of the scripture, and and um, and that we uh, would not uh, fall into this particular theological error as a as a church body. But yes, but thank you for your prayers and for your best wishes, uh, and I I really commend our our church to all of all of those who are listening and uh, uh, wherever you might be in the world. So thanks very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Table Scraps. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller again. I, it's great to think about what we can do to help serve our Lutheran brothers and sisters down in Australia. The main thing is we can pray. And remember that Jesus is uh, on the throne. He rules and reigns all things for the sake of his church, which is our great confidence and our great joy in these gray 
and latter days. Uh, pray for the uh, brothers and sisters down in Australia. Pray for uh, that the Lord would grant them wisdom. Pray that everything would be done honorably. Pray that they would let the scriptures uh, determine what's true and false and not the ways of the world. And always pray for the church. Remember, Paul is always praying that the Lord would give us wisdom and knowledge, a knowledge that surpasses all understandings. And we'll be back to give you guys an update on what happens at the convention uh, sometimes, sometime in the next couple of weeks, see what's going on.